Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast, is brought to you by Hustler Hollywood, your one-stop shop for all things erotica, with 11 stores across the United States. Our sexy shelves are stocked with DVDs, books, lingerie, vibrators, butt plugs, lubricants, fetish gear, and bachelorette party supplies. At Hustler Hollywood, we know that sex is free. We only sell the accessories. If you're at our flagship store on the Sunset Strip, located across the street from the world-famous Rainbow Roxy and Whiskey, mention Energize and you'll get a delicious discount on something delightfully dangerous. LF and LF, Lawn Friend and Larry Flint, energetically connected for more than 30 years. Scotty, Energize. Energize. Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. Good evening. I sound clear and crystal and been live tonight. I don't know how live I am, but I am in the San Pedro studio, Mike Stark's L.A. radio studio at the bowel of the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Ooh, my second straight week here. This is podcast number 47, and I'm going back and forth between here and Las Vegas. So it's because it's you have to keep track of me. And, and I'm going to give you a lyric, okay? This is a lyric that is sort of like the, my mantra for much of my uh, midlife, my adult life, where, when things went off the tracks, you know. <clears throat> I keep moving to be stable, free to wander, free to roam. Now, there are no phones here. So I was going to say first caller to guess that lyric and what album it came from and who the artist is would get uh, a personal piece of memorabilia from Lawn Friends archived, which are tubs that sit in the closet of my new, uh, new apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada. But because we're not set up for that, this, it's, all, it's a very narcissistic venture, this podcast. It's just me talking to you and you processing it. And, and and hopefully being somewhat entertained, maybe mildly enlightened by the end of the show. So, <clears throat> February 24th, he, here's what's happening. I'm expecting a phone call from a rather iconic gentleman named Dennis Dragon. Are you into the dragon, Smaug? I'm into slaying dragons, personal dragons. Dennis Dragon was brother of Daryl Dragon. The captain from the Captain and Tennille. He's the son of Carmen Dragon. But he's an environmentalist. He's a very outspoken environmentalist. And we're going to talk about, get ready, get ready, because you know this shit really gets to me. Chemtrails. The lines in the sky that you see every day across the cities of America. Barium and aluminum. You look up and go, hey, those aren't clouds. Or maybe you don't. I've been looking at them for, let's see, 2003. Uh, 11 years. Going on 11 years. So I'm expecting Daryl to call in, and we're going to talk chemtrails and other things environmental. He was also a surf punk. 
but I want to you know give it away. I'd like him to describe things. He's got a great great story, great life story. Um, <clears throat> what have I been up to? Uh, meandering, writing. Uh, I'm starting to kind of hone in on a uh, concept for a for a, a book. I don't want to give anything away. I'm already planting seeds. You know what happens when you plant seeds? You water them. So I'm reading this book, Peter Gabriel, an unauthorized biography given to me by my friend Jay Vinitsky, prog rocker from Chicago. A couple weeks ago, we went to see musical box shows. Do you know who they are? Another question that can't be answered by a silent audience. <laughs> this book is like 25 years old, and it's got some good stuff. You have to be a 70s Genesis fan to, to fully embrace where I'm going at any time because I'm hanging out with the giant hogweed. Okay, so what else is new? Okay, well, Olympics, they were fun. They're over. I enjoyed that. Oh, this is important news. This is really important news. Um, in March, my daughter's going to be 24 years old. <laughs> and I'm going to have her back on the show. I said, Meg, you were on the first show and you, you were great, but you know, we're like almost a year for some miracle. We lasted a year and, um, my, my fan has, has, uh, has, uh, suggested that you come back. So I figured maybe on your birthday, which is in a month, you'll come back and be on my show. Anyway, I'm a little scattered. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's almost easier doing this podcast on a Skype from Jeff Young's living room because I'm sitting there in his living room and with and his chick is is getting drinks for not cocktails. I do I do this show sober. I do everything sober. I don't care about drinking. Who cares about drinking? I'm clean living, man. Excuse me. So. So there's like a sub theme tonight, which is which is about are are we headed for are we headed for the end, or are we going to save ourselves? With that in mind, Jay has, who I just mentioned, has this extraordinary catalog of songs. It's huge. He has like a digital library, and no, having read both my books, he knows how the Eels were an important band to me. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I tried to sign the Eels, but Clive Davis said no. And here it is 20 years later. Fuck, I just remembered. 1994 was when I left Rip Magazine to take the job, the deal with the devil. Uh, 20 fucking years, May 94. Oh, you know what else is May? In Do you know what else is coming up? Listen to this. My 40th reunion at from Grand High School. And what was seventy four? That was the that was the year of the selling and by the pound tour, Genesis, and that's the musical box thing. Okay, boy, these this is all colliding, man. This is like a traffic jam at the intersection of my brain and my mouth. Figure that out. Anyway, before I get too off track, I'm gonna play some eels. Yeah, it's called End Times. I didn't even know this song existed until Jay played it for me. And this is Lawn Friend, 
And this is Energize, the podcast with no clue. Crazy guy with a matted beard Standing on the corner Shouting out in times are near And nobody notices But I can hear him loud and clear She is gone now And nowhere near Seems like end times are here I walk around a puddle in the street And head on home Outside my window there's a cat in heat Shut up cat and leave me alone There ain't no heat around here I don't feel nothing now Not even fear Now that end times are here Some people say there's a field around things, like magnetism. That's the latest research, a kind of memory. You tap into the field, the old pattern repeats, no escaping it. Ha! A cockamamie theory if I ever heard one. But this, now this is a brand new game, in more ways than one. That means you've got a chance. Wipe the slate clean, build new memories, start from scratch, so to speak. Best two out of three? Huh. We'll play for the fun of it. How's that sound? Uh, you gonna talk my ear off if I say yes? <laughs> my lips are sealed. Mm, where? Well, sitting room's available. Uh, the television's in there. Well, nobody's watching it. Too early yet. You sure? Last time I looked. Of course, the longer we stand here talking. <sighs> All right, Professor. You're on. Good man. Uh, just give me a minute here. I can't believe what we've seen. I 
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, Almond Brothers. Mike, am I right? That's brothers and sisters, right? I think so. Eat a peach. Oh, fuck. Eat a peach. I just remember this because I'm thinking about the 70s so much. When I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, Grand High School, Valley Valley College, Prague Rock, Almond Brothers, uh, Pink Floyd, driving around the valley, going up to the top of Mulholland with my friend Mark in his Fiat 850 Spider, listening to echoes from the metal record, turning off the lights when we got near the top of the canyon and it's pitch black outside. It's about the most rebellious, reckless thing I ever did, really, till I became porn critic for Hustler magazine in 1982. Well, I started in 82. <clears throat> we had promise. We had hope. My 40th reunion's coming up, and and I'm just being shot back to the mid-70s and everything. Every, like, it's like I'm living back there, and I'm getting signals from the universe that maybe I should be um, waxing poetic or creating some sort of prose that is uh, devoted and inspired by that time. I'm, which is which is conflicting for me because I'm like the guy who tells everybody, "Hey, stay in the moment, stay in the moment." Okay, the past, past is anxiety, future is uncertain. Stay in the moment, find peace. <clears throat> when do I get like, when do I start to really walk the walk where I'm Zen guy? But that's the balance that we have to we have to sort of negotiate in that our past it defines. Our experiences define who we are. Like, oh, Lon, dude, please tell me about the Motley Crue Dr. Feelgood plane in, that, in the article you wrote where you watched porn at 30,000 feet with Vince and Tommy and Nikki and Mick. Mick didn't care. Mick didn't care about much of anything playing his guitar and being left alone. <laughs> I think what I remember most about Mick Mars was the, the hour interview I did with him in Phoenix. And and he, uh, I think it was in Phoenix, and he told me that he'd worn the same pair of trousers the entire tour, and he hasn't, and he hadn't washed them once, because he wanted them to be full of the richness and stench, and grit and metal putrefying odors of that tour. So I. I'm pretty sure that I wrote Mick Stinky Trousers. That was the headline for the piece. But look, there's no archives unless you can find mag the magazines on eBay. So I, I, I can't attest to the authenticity of that statement. It's I'm speaking from memory now. And so, okay, so back to the theme here. Is, were, you, were, you, were you alive? Or were you alive back then in the 70s? If not, did you... At, at a time when you're in your 20s, do you have pro hope and promise? Did you look out the window and ask yourself, what, what the fuck is going on with my sky, my blue sky? Where, Where's my blue sky? Did, maybe this doesn't come to you till you're like down the road of your life a little ways because I'm in my mid-50s, man. I'm heading towards 60. I can't dr I can't drive 55 cuz I'm 57. <sighs> I'm I'm you know 
and th- the, 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 the prism through which I see life is what informed me in my youth, which was the music that I loved. And this is, this is why I've done what I've done for so much of my career is, uh, is, is, is right about music because I wasn't given the gift of musicianship. I can't play anything, man. The skin flute's not going to get you to Carnegie Hall, right? <laughs> oh, man. Where did this come from? So, <clears throat> I think Dennis's dragon's calling soon. I I really latched onto the metaphor of the dragon recently because the dragon's important. The dragon's the beast, like Smaug from Lord of the Rings, from The Hobbit. And you want to slay your dragon. You want to slay that dragon. The dragon represents shit that's burning you on the inside. It's burning your soul. So once you slay it, then you go marching happily, like through the poppies in Wizard of Oz, to mix fairy tale um, cinematic metaphors. We're out of the woods, we're out of the dark, we're out of the clouds. Check into the light, motherfuckers. <clears throat> so you're like dancing because now you don't have that, that dragon. The dragon is hiding underneath the all that gold. It's, it's, it's hiding in the lie. See, this is why The Hobbit Part 2 is so fucking great because the dragon steals the show. And... The dragon's hiding in, in, in the wealth, in the treasure. He, he's, he, he's, uh, he's sleeping, man. We all have sleeping dragons. Man, this is a hell of a setup for Dennis Dragon. I sure hope he calls. I wonder how I got his name. Maybe, uh, maybe, that, maybe that's him now. Whoa, baby. Everything's going good on the Lawn Friend Podcast. It's called Energize because it keeps you energized. Is that Dennis Dragon? Is that Dennis Mike Stark? Hello? Who the hell is Dennis Dragon on the line here? <laughs> Dennis Dragon. I was just doing a metaphorical rap about the significance of the dragon. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. How we slay them, how they hide beneath the treasure, as, as Smaug hid in The Hobbit 2. There you go. You know more about it than I at this point. <laughs> It's an honor to have you on the line, Dennis Dragon. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I am just a lowly record producer, engineer, musician, so keep that in mind. Well, but if you want to, like what I always have to do is go back to my past to give reference to where I've been, you are a surf punk. Uh, don't tell anybody. We've just told a lot of people. <laughs> okay, well, that follows me around, too, along with being the brother of the captain. You're the brother of the captain. But when I asked our friend Harvey Kubernick, how do I put in frame Dennis as a surf punk? He says, well, he was an environmentalist. He was a, he was a rebel, but he wanted to save the beaches of California be- way before it was fashionable. Well, I, that was part of the deal. Uh, we, you know, pretty much we're making fun of the whole thing and, you know, enjoying our uh, our moment in the sun, so to speak, for that brief moment. And it's pretty funny. I, I get emails today. When's the band going to get back together? And I, it's, it's a pretty good laugh after 40 years. Every band is being approached in the history of rock. If they're still alive, 
to be to be reunited because that's where the checks are, Dennis. Well, yeah, I, I was never check oriented. Otherwise, that's right. You, know, you weren't on another show, right? I think what's noble about your your whole campaign, and this is this goes back decades now, is regardless of all the music the music stuff you've done, is you're trying to make this a better planet because the planet's in a fucking is in trouble. Correct. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. We we've noticed. I I sort of noticed that a while back. Um, you know, just the mindless raping of the planet for money and power, and this became obvious to me over forty years ago. Maybe when it, around nineteen seventy, it became pretty obvious to both my brother Doug, believe it or not, who I'm visiting on the island of Maui right now, and myself. It's just like it became pretty obvious that we were headed for a, on a crash course. Did, I remember in school, Dennis, in the San Fernando Valley, I read a book by Rachel Carson called Silent Spring. You, yep. you knew about that. You were hip Absolutely. to that, right? Absolutely. That was like a game changer, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was, you know, she was the, one of the early environmentalists. Um, anybody who had their eyes open, I think, are environmentalists. And, you know, it's, it, it, unfortunately, they, in quotation marks or in capital letters, they, uh, are wanting us not to look. They want us to keep our eyes on our smartphones, our computers, and looking basically down and not at what's going on on the planet. Well, that that's in perfect alignment with what I want to get into with you, because in 2003, when I moved to Las Vegas the first time, I saw things in the sky that I had never seen before. Whether they were there before or not, I wasn't conscious of them. I was watching jets every day, and they were leaving behind these white plumes, and I noticed that the sky was getting overcast, and it wasn't God's overcast. It was man's overcast. Exactly. So I became hip, and and this has been sort of a mindfuck obsession for me, because a lot of people just look at me and go, no, dude, you got it all wrong. But I don't think I have it wrong. I think something's been going on. Geoengineering has been going on. Will you tell the audience, what is the chemtrail? And what is well, this campaign? You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that know a lot more about it than I do. Right. Um, I'm just a guy that keeps my eyes open. I was living in Santa Barbara about, oh, I moved up, up to southern Oregon about six years ago. So it was maybe close to ten years ago. I noticed and took pictures of what's going on here. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I, I said, well, that's kind of strange for planes to leave that you know, that, that lovely, you know, trail, then it won't dissipate, you know, and, and all these crazy patterns. So I started taking pictures of them then. That was over 10 years ago. And then I looked into it, and lo- thank goodness for YouTube or whatever, yeah. and, and the net in general. And I started getting a crash course in what was going on. And, um, you know, I mean, if you want to know exactly what's going on, and you know this, and I'm sure you've told your audience, but, I mean, there's one... There's a couple people that really know what's going on, and one of them is Michael Murphy. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you interviewed him, or you're aware of him, right? Uh, Michael Murphy's one who made the, uh, the the that great DVD. What in the world are they spraying, and why, and who in the world is spraying? Right? He made right. two DVDs. Well, what he has out right now is what in the world was the first one, why in the world was the second one, right? And now the third one, which he's working on now, is the, the who, and that's oh, going to be the, the game changer. Um, oh yeah. He's an extremely intelligent, inf- informative dude. I've met him face to face, talked to them. He's dedicated, as you are and as I am, to spreading the word and the awareness of what's going on here. Another man that I met recently and I'm very happy to have met him, is Dane Wigington. Mm-hmm. And that's the man that's operating the site, um, uh, geoengineeringwatch.org. If anybody wants to know what's, what's going on in depth with, with information to back it and facts, 
they should go to that side because Dane yeah. really is into it with with facts. See, this is what this is what kind of confuses me, Dennis. That that something is happening and extraordinary amounts of money are, are being spent. And I try to think not nefariously. I try to think, well, maybe there's a good being done here. Maybe, maybe they are reflecting and lowering the cl- the climate or the, or that's the whole campaign is to make it a global warming issue and make it less. But my question and this hit me recently. And I, cause I looked at this and I said, if they have the power to, to, to do this, to alter the climate, then why don't they make it rain? Why is there drought all over yeah, the West? Exactly. Why isn't there more good happening? Right. I've come, to, I've come to the conclusion that it is bad. It is all bad. And any everything from weather control to food control to mind control to everything control, I think that's what's going on up there. And they're about to inform the public, from what I can tell, that since it's so obvious... Yeah. They're going to inform it. Yes, it's for global warming purposes, and we got to keep the planet cool. And you're supposed to buy that and mm-hmm. go away. Uh, I'm not buying it. I'm watching. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm watching trees dying. I'm watching plants that used to grow. Um, you know, heirloom tomatoes, things like that. They don't grow now because the pH of the soil is raising. I, I bought my own pH meter, and I've watched this over the few years myself. The pH of the soil is going up due to the stuff that's raining down on us and everything on the planet. And whatever their plan is, and I'm sure they've been developing it for decades, decades. now, um, it's not good for us. And it's not good for anything that's on, uh, on the planet. And I think at the top of the list is weather control. And right. I, I've, I've looked and then seen the jet stream altered with radar pictures, satellite pictures, and you've seen they're spraying them over the ocean. I went to I uh, went to Hawaii two years ago. Took a plane out of Seattle during the day, and I saw spraying going on up to two hours off the coast. I was looking at this going on. So right. even though it's not going on above your head, sometimes right. it's going on. Believe me. And everybody I talk to is experiencing this this this, this little phenomenon going on. So it is a huge global program. And you know this, I know this, we need to make more people aware of this, and I'm doing it through music. And and I think that's a really good segue, because it, it helps release, relieve a little bit of the anxiety that you can involve what we all love and what keeps us all united and gives us hope for the future of mankind is we love music. We're, we're, right. we're music people, we're rock and roll children, right? No, so, definitely, and, and others. I mean, my dad was a symphony conductor. Yeah, Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, just to, just, just to blow the horn on what I've done about this, I, I mean, I'm so obsessed with it, I go, what could I do? So I just, I, I believe, I'm a firm believer in mental telepathy. Um, I think it does exist. I think it's underplayed. I think, you know, they want us to become dependent on their electronic devices to, to, to divert us from what, the way we're really supposed to communicate. I might lose, lose a few people here, but I was led to Oregon from Southern California about six, six years ago, I guess, maybe a little longer, uh, just out of, like, I was out of desperation. I was looking for some other life other than becoming a cartooner myself mm-hmm. uh, in Southern California, I, a.k.a. surf punks, beach guy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was led up to the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, and that's where I'm currently residing, and I was led to Steve Miller's studio. He built a studio there, the Steve Miller rock and roll dude, yep. built a studio there in the early 70s or mid-70s, uh, in, in this agricultural area that I live in, it's pretty rural, and um, 
and he, he built it. I he, I don't think he was there long. Um, I don't think he was able to record much there, even though he built a great studio. I think the town and him were incompatible with each other, mm-hmm. he being on top of the rock and roll game and the town being more into agricultural and getting up at five and working on the farm. Right. So I don't know the whole story. I don't care. But I think he built the studio for me. So I'm led up there six years ago. A lady that I knew in Ojai, California, mm-hmm. said, hey, we, we moved up here from Ojai. It's a great place. By the way, would you like to see Steve Miller's studio? I go, what? She goes, yeah, it's right down the street. So I I, I couldn't believe it. I, it was in a giant 9,000-square-foot barn. It was being used. The studio itself was being used for storage, and um, they have weddings there. So It was the bride's quarters, right? The control room was the bride's quarters. <laughs> and I, this is a prime. This is a world-class studio built in a barn in the middle of nowhere. I need to get in. So it took me a year to get in there, you know, with whatever I had to sign. Mm-hmm. They thought I was a rock and roll burnout and into drugs, which I'm actually the opposite. So it's, it's uh, you know, I, I got in there, and there I was in, in a studio that's what I, what, I, what I always wanted to be in, a great studio like that. I've always done business out of garages. The surf punk thing was recorded in a garage in, at Zuma Beach. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's what I was used to. So here I am in the middle of nowhere with the studio, and then it became clear what I needed to do there. Because then, at that time, they started spraying heavily there. And I'm going, oh, man, I can't get away from this. This, this. You know, this is driving me crazy. I go out to the beach. I see chemtrail planes hanging a U-turn mm-hmm. at Crescent City. I mean, come on, jets at 30,000 feet with a U-turn? Help. Yeah. You know, this, this, is, this is not right. So... And, you know, so I I, I put out the vibe, getting back to mental telepathy, that I'm here to help. And there I am sitting with a studio, all my equipment from the last 50 years, that long of, you know, great recording equipment and this talent given to me by my parents. So they came to me. I, I mean, I put the vibe out last summer, and these musicians heard about that I wanted to put a, a compilation together of awareness songs, everything from GMO to geoengineering to Illuminati to everything that's going on that's not a good thing, uh, that shouldn't be going on, and via music and songs, I was able to filter and record within six weeks 18 artists doing 18 songs of awareness music, mostly acoustic, not much rock on this on this little compilation. You, uh, you, you produced this record? Yes, I did. In this and studio I, that had been dormant for so long? Absolutely. You brought the studio back to life, and you brought these musicians in and recorded these conscious-raising songs. Right. This all happened last summer at the end of the summer. Um, there, was a, there was a fire about a block away from the studio at that time. It was a heat wave with a, a big wind. Me being from Malibu, I know all about fires. Mm-hmm. So it, it, had the wind been a little shifted a little differently, the studio would have gone. So I said, okay, this is a wake-up call. Dennis, get to work. Mm-hmm. There you have it. So... I put out this thing. It's called AwareOne.org, the number one, AwareOne.org. It's on the net. As that, the compilation is called that, and there's a plethora of very, you know, aware, conscious music there. That's A lot of it's, I, I love all of it. Let's just put it that way. It, it really came together. That's cool. That's really cool. And people yeah. can go to that, to AwareOne.org, and they can get your CD. They can they can go to that site. They can get the CD. They can read what I think about what's going on. They okay. can, you know notes from the producer. Uh, there's there's sites there. There's links for sites that I think are that people need to know about from geoengineering, mm-hmm. GMO to you know everything else that's mentioned. 
all this culvert stuff that's not that great that's yeah. been going on by our new world order that's in place that we're not even aware of. Yeah, man. If, if the conspiracy mind is kind of a hard mind because once if you tap into it, it, it kind of freaks you out a little bit and you want to escape from it immediately and go, well, wait well, a minute, the Olympics are on and everything's cool or something. You're, you're right about that. And I seem to have a gift of, I, hey, I like to have fun. I like to play ping pong. Right. I like to go to the beach. I like to play frisbee. You know, I'm, I like to have fun. I mean, that's what the surf punks thing was, and that was me in the 60s and 70s. I mean, I was all about fun. and, and But, I mean, this stuff is so blatant in our faces now, I cannot, I, I can't ignore it. I don't. I don't see how anybody can at this point. Yeah. Well, that, so, I guess that it, it defines whether we're going to survive as a civilization is if we, as John Lennon said, come together. And well, a, absolutely. Right? I mean, the first the first song on AwareOne dot org is done by this lady by the name of Jen, Jen Ambrose, and it's all about that. Let rise together is the name of the song, and she's she's playing her djembe and singing her ass off and. It, that's it. Let's let's come together. I mean, I was there at the '60s. I mean, I was there for the Vietnam thing and all that. You know, Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth and mm-hmm. this and that. And music really got through before corporations controlled the labels and didn't allow stuff to get through, which I think is happening, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know. I, they're, they're trying to divert us from what's going on here. You know what? Along this line, just to meander a little bit, so you could bless us with an anecdote. Harvey said to tell, have Dennis tell the story about Neil Young and Southern Man. Well, it's a little bit of diversion because at that at that time it had definitely some some validity. But I mean, I was on the road with the Beach Boys as a percussionist. I think we're talking late sixties here, mm-hmm. right around maybe nineteen seventy something like that. I don't have the exact years. I don't remember. I've had to learn too many computer programs, right, right. some information. <laughs> but um, there we were. It was after one of the gigs in the South. I forget which, which, you know, which state it was in, but it was the Deep South. Mm-hmm. And we went out to dinner you know, or drinks or whatever after um, a show. You know, it was the Buffalo Springfield Beach Boys and the Strawberry Alarm Clock. How do you like that one? Right. Awesome. That, that, was, that was an unbelievable tour. And I still am in touch with... The guys in Strawberry Alarm Clock, I might even be doing their next album, believe it or not. That's um, great. And I know, that's that's classic stuff. But there we were out in the middle, you know, end up nowhere, I forget what the place, and we were having you know, our dinner, and these good old boys were right across the way taking a look at us long hairs, going, ah, you know, they were putting out some vibes. And mm-hmm. um, and then I heard, overheard the guy, goes, yeah, I'll pick the guy with the curly hair. You get that guy with the that black... Uh, Castle uh, leather coat, mm-hmm. which is Neil, and uh, you know I think yeah we'll take care of them. And I mean the vibe was getting like a cold war in there. I go oh man we're screwed because we're kind of outnumbered at this mm-hmm. point. I didn't know what was going to come down, but at that point or just shortly after that, Charlie Brown, who was a big sucker, cruised with the Beach Boys, was one of like security slash roadie, walks in and basically just by his presence diffuses so, it. You diffuse it, and mm-hmm. and shortly after that, Southern Man was written. And, and Neil went back to Canada and wrote Southern Man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know he's still alive and well. He's got a place over here in Mount, uh, on the Big Island. And when I lived here ten years ago, I was where where he lived. I haven't run into him since then, since those days. But I do know his engineer, and I guess you know they record in Northern California. Yeah, he does the bridge. Still does the bridge shows in San Francisco. Yeah, I think Neil's classic. He's a great dude. He is. He just keeps it going, you know. But, Did, yeah, that was that moment. 
So yeah. there you have that moment. Do you like telling stories like that? Does it kind of get you out of your head a bit and say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I have I, had an amazing I, kind of trip? I, I don't like it as much as I'd like to think I would. I'm, I don't think I'm quite that old yet, but I'm getting there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> My brother Doug, who I'm visiting now up here, he loves to, loves to get into that. I mean, we talk story about the stuff we used to get away with in the '60s in Malibu, and it was just it was crazy. I mean, what we were able to do and not get arrested or tell me, tell me the crazy shit you did in Malibu, man. Oh God, I used to, <laughs> I I mean, this is '60s stuff. I used to ride around my motorcycle. You know, on the Malibu Hills, some of those canyon roads, right. I just you know, 80, 90, 90 miles an hour into turns and stuff. And with young girls on the back, I mean, young, 16. Yo. And I was like 25. And it's, I mean, they, they would throw me in jail for doing stuff like that. I mean, I don't have to go into it, but <laughs> I, it was, you know, and then the t- Doug put a party on in the Malibu Pier. We drove on that on that pier. We, we rented it for an evening. This was, I think, around the mid-60s. Right. And it was, uh, we had bottles of wine on that truck, and the band was set up on the back of the truck. I mean, I think we charged five bucks to get in. It was completely packed. People were wind out of their gourds, <laughs> jumping off the pier. You know, I mean, it was a completely different time. You, could, you couldn't even think about doing stuff like that now. But because you were aligned with with Beach Boys, and they were fearless and reckless. I mean, Dennis certainly was. Well, Dennis was the only one that was. Yeah, he was. I mean, I knew him, and he lived up to that image. I mean, but they're pretty docile, dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I forgot what name they were before somebody gave them the Beach Boys name. But, you know, they it was it's all time and place. I mean, mm. and then you got Brian, who's a musical genius. Right. And, you know, whatever. That's a whole different ball of wax. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I was... I was there on the road with them, and we had some interesting times. That's all I can remember. Just, I mean, I toured with those guys, and I remember briefcases full of cash and guns and behind the scene, and I mean, just crazy stuff. I'm sure it's going on somewhere today, but not in you know, the United States. Has got so much control on it now. There's signs everywhere uh, and fences everywhere. That it's, it's a whole different time, you know. I mean, yeah, that's the way it is. You, now, now you got to get. And we're getting sprayed. <laughs> and we're getting. Back then you were getting laid, and now you're getting sprayed. Well, you know, I still got a little of the former going. <laughs> oh, that's good to know, man. Balance. Doesn't balance keep us healthy, man? We're, we're, yeah, we're keeping it alive. You know? <laughs> so that's all good stuff. But, you know, mm. you know, it is getting harder to have a good time as I notice that things are literally dying around me. And I'm talking yeah. about the environment. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, just, it's just not that cool. And whoever's doing these. Lovely things to us, in my opinion, should be you know stretched out on a whatever they call it, where they put yeah. a rack, put them on a rack, yeah, you know, and, and turn the screws, man. I mean, they have no, no. I mean, this. I think it's an experiment. I mean, I think my read on it is okay. They're spraying aluminum oxide, or they're spraying barium, mm-hmm. whatever. And if you look, these these are all nanoparticles. You can't filter them out with your filter. Mm-hmm. They go directly into your bloodstream and every other bloodstream that exists and everything else that's alive on the planet. And it's messing things up. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but I think about 80% of the people have a cough these days. Yeah, a lot of cough. I wonder what that is. I mean, even Harvey's coming off three months of yeah. you know, some sort of, I don't know what he's got. And you know, I, mm. I, I know where it's from. How do you prove this stuff? How, that, well, really, that's, that's, that's the tough one. part. I mean, while we're trying to prove it, it's, it's killing us off. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not one of these guys that, you know, is going to follow a jet around 
uh, with another jet and scoop up the yeah. what they're spraying and have it analyzed. Mm. And the oh, yeah, now I know it's what they say it is. Yeah. No, it's just whatever it is is bad, and the concept is no good. <laughs> I saw this thing on uh, this clip on NPR recently, and it, it talked about the the Norse mythology uh, has prophesized that this was that we're in the end times and the the, the lead up is three torturous winters and if you ask people in the northeast or the midwest they're living through their third torturous winter so maybe this is kind of a prophecy thing and we're coming to the end and it's all mean something you know what i do know people that are right along those lines and that's fine. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a religious dude in the way that I think I know I have my own version of what God is for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the prophecy, all that stuff is fine, but, you know, it's, it's easy to hop on a train once it's moving. You know, I mean, it, it's hard to think for yourself yeah. and try and figure it out. So I, I'll go with any of it, but I just know that what I see, I believe in what I see. <laughs> and I've seen a UFO, okay, so I got that one. Yeah. Uh, I don't where know. did that happen? Where where was your close encounter? That was in well, it was kind of a, like a two mile encounter, but I it was in Malibu. My brother Doug and I were coming home from a gig in Santa Monica at around two or three in the morning. What year was this? Oh, early seventies, maybe okay. seventy two, seventy three. Okay. And I, you know, we were we were hanging out in Malibu, right? So mm-hmm. we were coming home late at night. No cars in the road. Bang bang, heading up to Point Doom. We see a yellow light just hovering off the end of Point Doom in the, in the ocean, just above the ocean. And I go, oh, that's pretty trippy. We stopped the car. It was a VW bus at that time, that, you know, our, our band equipment in that. Mm-hmm. We stopped the car. Doug and I were on the same frequency as far as, you know, the way we relate. And that's why I'm visiting now. I'm having a great time with him. Mm-hmm. But we stopped the car and look at this thing. It's just kind of a throbbing yellow light. And we haven't had anything to drink, nothing, just straight ahead, coming home from a gig, you know, to hey, you know, let me out of here, Wednesday night or something like that. And we, we stop, and we, we, okay, and we say, okay, let's do something weird. So let's flash it with our flashlight, with, not with our flashlight, with our headlights, three times. You know, we had the lights off. So we pointed the car towards it, flashed it three times, and then about two seconds later, it flashed us back with a white light three times. So I go, okay, we've made some contact. Here we go. Let's see what happens next. It just sat there, and then for about a minute, throbbing, and then it, took off at about a 1,000 miles an hour in a nanosecond, just straight up, bang. And I go, oh, that was a UFO. I mean, (laughs) that's for sure. And what's funny is, Doug and I talk about that today, but a lady that lived at Point Doom right there on the point, who I did did know through a friend of mine, was his mother, she, we talked about 15 years later about UFOs, and she said, yeah, you know, one night about 19, early 70s, I, she, explained, she, she explained the same thing we saw. Okay. And, and she was, like, a lot older than us. Okay, in, in, uh, in May or June of 2000, I was editor-in-chief of KNAC.com website, and I was interviewing Rob Alford from Judas Priest. Wait, did, you, did you say KNAC? Yeah, KNAC.com. Yeah. I remember that channel. <laughs> yeah, it was a prog station in the 70s and a metal station in the 80s. Yeah, there it is. Out yeah. of Long, Long Beach, that's right. Yeah, well, Right across the bridge from where I'm speaking to you right now. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> On Ocean Boulevard. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I'm sitting in a studio much like this one, and I'm interviewing Rob Halford from Judas Priest. And in 2000, 2001, all my interviews started to go in. They just started to cross over into topics 
about ghosts and consciousness and shifting energy. And I just wasn't talking about how's the tour going anymore. So we get into it. We get into this thing. And Rob Halford says, well, I can tell you a story, Lon, about the UFO when I was a teenager in London. And what you just said to me is almost word for word how Halford described him and his mates, no drugs and no booze, chasing a UFO on their bicycles, not motorcycles, uh, chasing lights, much like the one you just described, around London for over an hour, and then it took off, zoom, just like you described it. Yeah, just from zero to a thousand yep. in a nanosecond. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, I, I don't know who's driving that thing. It could be people from here or people from there. I don't know. I don't care. But, you know, I've seen it. And so that's the hey. thing. I was, I was never abducted, thank goodness. Let's solve Shakespeare, man. There are more things in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamt of in your lifetime. Hey, cool. I like that one. I didn't write it. It was written 400 years ago. <laughs> so, here, so here we are. I come to Hawaii, you know, because I like to come here in the middle of winter every year just to remember what it's like to be in the ocean and something warm. And, you know, visiting my brother and my other buddy on Kauai. And I, I'm there for about a week. You know, I've been here almost about two weeks now. And no chemtrail spraying for the first week. I, I see wisps up high because I know exactly what this stuff looks like. Yeah. No one's going to fool me. Yeah. And I see this stuff floating above, so I know they're spraying somewhere. Well, the wind shifted just right to do the to, to do a nice island spray one day. It went, came from the west, mm-hmm. and they covered that island. I'm telling you, it was unreal. But the funny thing is, uh, they sprayed at a lower altitude mm-hmm. than I'm, what I'm used to seeing. So that means they definitely wanted to cover that island. And you know, this this little concept of you know, well, we're protecting you from the sunlight. Right. They want it. To hit the ground, baby. I I guarantee that mm. one. It was about a you know ten thousand feet lower spraying than what I saw. In yeah, they're really low in Vegas because I moved back there and they're 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 very low in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah. As I yeah. told you on the phone, that we're we're rocking here. We're rolling. I mean, we're recording. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every time I watch Pawn Stars, I, I <laughs> Pawn Stars <laughs> they hand to the sky and oh, good luck. <laughs> they're there. Oh yeah. And one thing that really knocked me out, and I heard about this one, and this is for conditioning the kids, unfortunately, um, that movie Cars, when it first came out. Yeah, you, Cars, did, yeah. Did you hear about this? No. Okay, well, evidently, the movie came out, came and went, well, they had a re-release on DVD, and guess what they did to this guy on the re-release? Oh, they had to alter it because they were trails? Yes, they had to alter They had to put in trails for the kids. Put <laughs> They added them, dude. Come on, dude. man. That's a little, that's really tweaked. That's what I heard. And you know what? I haven't verified it, but it's verifiable. <laughs> Dennis, you are a, you are a fiery dragon. Dude, I'm not going down, you know, <laughs> with my, with my feet up in the air. You know what I'm saying? I know, brother. Freeman, screw this. Awesome. Okay, listen, man, you're, you're great. You're a warrior. You're, you're, you're helping the planet. Awareone.org. Go there. Learn about what's going on. Tell your friends to look up. Don't be afraid. Breathe yeah. l- breathe gently and, li- and and listen to the tunes. And Dennis Dragon, thank you so much for, for, oh. for joining me on the podcast tonight. Thank you for having me. And one more word for the ones who want to live through this. Go. Detox. Yes. In any way you can. Drink the green. Yes. That's right, dude. Yeah, drink the green. Awesome, bro. Hey, I hope you don't mind, but I'm I'm going to play 
my wave. You got it, man. You <laughs> okay. Got it. Dennis Dragon, ladies and gentlemen, energized. Thank you, Dennis. Out. Out.
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, where anything is possible. Mike Stark, my producer engineer, thought that would be a train wreck. I thought it sounded motherfucking great. Now here's the synchronicity, okay? Number one song of 1975, Captain Sneal. That's Dennis Dragon's brother, Daryl Dragon, the captain, on the keys. And the helping out with the la-da-da-da. Okay, so that's the that record is is all over the radio everywhere. It's ubiquitous. At the same time as Genesis is touring The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Okay? And I'm at Valley College with my friend Peter Weiss discovering the Genesis catalog. <sighs> so what's what what do we take away? What's the takeaway? here you know you know i don't script this show what's the takeaway dennis dragon bringing in the bringing bringing in perspective on how the new world order is a little terrifying that the world is might be fucking going hell in a bucket as uh bob weir once saying at least i'm enjoying the ride he's enjoying the ride in this back in the seventies, when I was drive, driving around my 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 uh, nineteen sixty five Chevy Malibu, um, I had the radio on, but I I, I I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't looking up at the sky. I, I looked up at night to see stars. But you know what? You know what the San Fernando Valley was like back in the seventies. It was smoggy, man. Before they changed the air quality standards. I mean, that's something good that the man did was it cleaned up Southern California because the air was so bad. But I just cared about my tunes. I wanted to get home from school and listen to my tunes, put on my vinyl, close myself in my room. And then I didn't care whether the world was coming to an end because my world was okay. The world between my ears and in my heart was okay. The love of music kept me together. Okay. And I know that I've been looking at these lines and I and, and I know this the world is just there's so many bad things going on, but I try to be an optimist, especially at this time. I mean, I'm on the last 20, 30 years of my run. Who you know, or I could disappear tomorrow. Who knows? But if I think about, I'm going to live, let's say I'm going to live 80 or 90 years. You know, my dad's 84, going to be uh, 84, 84, how old is he? 80, he's going to be 85. And he's got good genes and he's a musician and he loves music and he's pretty healthy. So let's just, let's use that as a template. I got 80 years, 85 years. I still, I'm going to do some rocking and I'm going to wake people up in my way and that's what, you need to do too through your art through your voices you just have to like gandhi said be the change and it is it's maddening to look out your window and see somebody fucking with your blue sky it is it messed my head up i don't know how many of you read my second book sweet demotion but there's a chapter in there called life on shuffle and i talk about going through a depression study at the ucla neurocycle neuropsych institute and and i'm i'm pointing the nurse barbara's eyes to the sky 
at these plumes, these these rails going up out the window right in front of her. And she just rolled her eyes. And somewhere in the in the narrative I called it the crime of the century. Borrowing from Supertramp. <laughs> and maybe that's what it is. Maybe Maybe Supertramp was hip to this because they wrote that in the early 70s. Now they're planning the crime of the century. Maybe that's what it was. They all, whatever, the Skull and Bones crew sat around a table in some smaug treasured palace someplace on a mountain in a basement. And they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, we're gonna spray the world. We're just gonna spray it. Oh, maybe it's just, maybe it's just an illusion. I choose to believe that some good must come from this, and let's stay optimistic. Let's let's raise awareness, stay optimistic, and. Stay in love with the tunes that made us who we are. So that's it. that's it. Now one of the tunes and one of the bands that made me who I who I am is Genesis, and I discovered them in uh, I discovered them the year that Captain Tennille had the number one song of the year. <laughs> and what I'm gonna play you just just. Just feel how how completely divergent these musical styles are. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave you with a very special musical box from Genesis and, and, a, and a, a classic Peter Gabriel intro, which comes out of my friend Jay's enormous digital file of tunes. Thank you for... Your patience, your understanding. Thank you, Dennis Dragon, for your wisdom and your passion. This is called Energize. It's the Lawn Friend Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and on my Facebook. And if you can't find it, then you're not listening. <laughs> I'll see you next week. <laughs> Henry, Henry, Henry. What's happened to our game of croquet? Cried little Henrietta. Henry found Crokey completely irresistible, and so he rushed out onto the front lawn to join his little sister. Just as play was about to commence, she raised her Crokey mallet in the air, and with one fair swoop, she removed little Henry's head. This had the effect of killing him. But two weeks later, she was in Henry's old room and she found an old musical box, which used to play the tune of Old King Cole, and when she opened the musical box and the tune began to ring out, a strange, somewhat familiar pair of green knickerbockers were mysteriously lowered from the ceiling. Into these, Henry was dropped. He'd been given a second round. Always a bit on the roundy side, Henry found himself a young lady, and he led this young lady up the old wooden stairs into the attic to show off his very fine water tank. The nurse was downstairs, however, and she heard strange noises, so rushed up, picked up the musical box, and instinctively smashed it into the bearded child, destroying both. 
In the middle of this number, we've arranged for a small pair of satin green knickerbockers to be lowered from the uh, BBC Paris studios, into which, very casually, a naked Eddie Waring will be dropped. <laughs> this is called the musical box.
to come on. We had the demon's pick, but then we broke it. And now our masterpiece will never happen. We can't pay the rent because we won't be fueled by Satan. Yeah, come on, get up, get up. Come on, come on, stand up, we're all right. You guys, having some satanic guitar pick isn't gonna make your rock any better because Satan's not in a guitar pick. He's inside all of us. He's in here, in your hearts. He's what makes us not wanna go to work or exercise or tell the truth. He's what makes us want to party and have sex with each other all night long. He's that little voice in your mind that says, fuck you to the people you hate. Now, you can stay out here and fight on the ground and cry like babies, or you can go in there like friends rock. So what's it gonna be? Let's go in there and show them what Tenacious D is all about. Yeah, I already got a guitar pick anyways. 